hustlers, road players, tournament champions. Hear the stories, get their advice, learn about their lives. Our host, Joey Ryan, brings you an inside look at the professional pool player. You're listening to the Pool Player Podcast, brought to you by Pool Scene 365. Hey guys, Joey Ryan, Pool Player Podcast, brought to you by Pool Scene 365. If this looks, this setting looks a little different, it's because it is. So Sunday morning, I started feeling a little uh, bad, couldn't smell, couldn't taste. Monday morning, I went and got a test and I was positive for COVID-19. However, it's been very mild, uh, thankfully. And so I decided to isolate myself in the room, stay away from the family. And this is the corner of my bedroom, just a little makeshift desk that I set up. And I am a little delayed in getting out this week's episode. I do apologize for that, but it's a great one and you're really gonna love it. Uh, We have former European champion, former world nine ball champion, and now Moscone Cup champion, Fedor Gorst. And let me tell you something about this interview. I think you're gonna love the educational value of this interview. There's so much good content in here about how he prepares and how he goes about his training and just his entire mindset, which I found to be incredibly inspiring, especially from such a young man. Before I go further, Fedor is actually in the United States right now. He's preparing for a big match with Jeffrey DeLuna, and he's also selling some memorabilia. So you can purchase a cue ball or an eight ball for $30 and he'll autograph that for you and personalize it as well as a picture. I I don't know if he meant eight by 10, but he said eight by 12 online, Uh, but it's a large picture and he'll autograph that for you as well. And he's doing that for $25 or you can get both for 50. And so what I did is I bought uh, both from him And what I'd like to do is offer a giveaway. So if you guys could like this video and comment, I'll go ahead and do a drawing when it's all said and done. I'll put up a little video on maybe Facebook or something and select a random winner to receive the cue ball and another one to receive the photograph, uh, autographed by Fedor and it'll be customized. So uh, whatever you want it to say, he'll he'll, uh, address it to you. So I'm really excited for this interview, sit back, Enjoy, and ladies and gentlemen, Fedor Gorst. Hey, Fedor, thanks for joining. I really appreciate you making the time. Yeah. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) So first of all, let's start with the very first question. How exactly do you pronounce your name? Because I've heard it five different ways, so I just want to get it right from you. It's Fedor, not Fedor. (laughs) Okay, Fedor. Okay, I think I have it. <laughs> Does that sound okay? Yeah, yeah, perfect. Awesome. Well, I'm really excited to have you on, and I want to get to know more about you. So can you take us through how you got started playing pool? Oh, it's a, it's actually a long story. Uh, my parents, uh, we lived in different house. I was like three or four. I don't remember that. But we had a Russian pyramid table. That's the game we're playing here in Russia. And, you know, I wasn't playing because I was short, but I was always laying on the table, you know, throwing balls, and I really liked it. And then at some point, I was like six or seven, my father decided to hire me a coach. So uh, he invited the guy to our house 
to, you know, make a practice session. Uh, and I really enjoyed it. And after that, we started practicing this game seriously. Like I was going to the pool hall, playing Russian Pyramid for a couple of years, switching coaches like <laughs> every year, I'd say. And then uh, I was like 11, I think. Uh, my coach told me that there's no potential anymore to play Russian Pyramid. You know, it's better to switch to pool and it's much better game if you, you know, if you decide to play it professionally. You know, you can travel and probably the prize money is bigger and maybe it will be included in the Olympic Games. We were thinking at that time. Uh, so, yeah, we decided to switch to pool and I really, I really... Uh, happy that we made this decision at yes that time. i had christina on and she talked about russian pyramid as well can you explain just a little bit about the game is it still played with six pockets i i really don't know anything about it how exactly is the game played well it's 12 foot table really small pockets almost the same size as the size of the ball the ball is a little bigger than the pool ball well maybe not a little Maybe it's like one and a half bigger than the pool ball. Uh, yeah, it's six pockets. They're playing worldwide. Well, worldwide. Here and in Ukraine and Belarus. Uh, so the, the most popular one is you can shoot with any ball and whoever scores eight uh, balls first wins the wreck. Hmm. Okay. So back to pool, at what point did you know that you arrived on the scene? Like that you could beat anybody? Uh, well, you know, it's mentally, it's mental question. You know, if you have the goal of winning the tournament, you have to, you have to imagine and believe that you have you have to beat anybody to win that tournament, right? Uh, so I think once I uh, decided or set the goal that I have to win some certain major tournament or a big tournament, I think I realized that I well not realized I uh, thought that I should beat anybody to do it. What do you? Uh, enjoy doing outside of playing pool? Any hobbies or any interests outside of pool? Uh, I like the sightseeing. I actually like my city a lot. You know, if you ever want to go somewhere on holidays, I really, uh, you know, I really, how do you say that? <laughs> uh, uh, well, it's really a nice place to go, to come. Moscow is amazing, especially at winter time. It's cold, but it's very pretty. Yeah. You know, I enjoy I enjoy the time with my friends. You know, we go to cinemas and all this. Uh, but really, not nothing like a hobby that I I would call. So I know you're about to come back to the United States for a big match, and we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, but how does pool in the United States compare to pool in Europe, let's say? 
completely different. Uh, you know, in Europe, I don't want to really say that, but I think that players, especially professional players, I'm not talking about amateurs, but amateurs as well, actually, they are, Europeans are taking the game much more in a serious way and not like a fun game or, you know, the game you can play with a beer in the bar or something. Of course, we have that, but it's not, uh, it's not about sport. It's, it's just a separate, separate way. Uh, but when I'm coming to the States, I'm just participating in some tournaments and I'm thinking like, well, is it really like a professional tournament or what is it? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, I really enjoy everything in the United States. You know, that's why I'm always coming there. Uh, the atmosphere is always there and that's why I'm coming there again. <laughs> Yeah, you actually played in a tournament, I believe it was in Minnesota, and you played against a good friend of mine, and it kind of made me chuckle a little when you were talking about how Americans take the game versus Europeans, because his name was Scott Tollison, and he had the most... You, you remember Scott? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It was hilarious. It was my first bar table tournament. I remember I was nervous. It was one of my first trips to the United States. Uh, and, you know, I was preparing, working hard on my bar table game. And then I'm playing, uh, well, it was a professional tournament, I think, I thought at that time. Uh, and the guy is drinking beer. He had like six, seven beers before the match. He's, you know, he's jumping before the break. He's walking around the table twice before he breaks. And doing all that, and we're playing for two hours, and I'm th sitting in the chair, and <laughs> I didn't know what to do at that time. But, yeah, I ended up beating him Hill uh, Hill, I think. He was actually breaking the best at that tournament, I think. Yeah, he, he's, a, he's a good player here. And uh, but he has a completely different approach and he likes to drink beer to kind of stay calm, uh, which it doesn't really look calm. <laughs> but uh, anyway, yeah. good guy. And I well, just maybe he's, maybe he's calm inside. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not the outside. So who would you say has been your biggest rival, uh, like someone that you always have to compete against or you always have to play your best against or gives you trouble? Is there a, a rival who really stands out to you? Uh, not really through the whole career, but the last couple of years, of course, you know, the names, you know, Filler, uh, Kachi, we're always playing against each other, not only in Europe. Um, we played a lot of matches with Jason, Shaw. It's always tough to play with uh, Asians, but it's not that I'd have like a certain player as a rival. I would say Joshua Filler is the toughest opponent that I had to play. Yeah. How's your record against him? Do you do pretty well? Um, I think he won most of the matches, but this year we played on Euro Tour, and I won Hill Hill, and I beat him before somewhere else. So the last two matches I won, but before that I probably lost five. 
Do you have any mentors or maybe other players that you model your game after? Uh, I had one. It was always Niels. Niels Fine. When I was young, I was always watching everything, you know, everything he does. Technique, the break, approach, what he does before the match. You know, I was always texting him. He was never replying me. <laughs> but... Uh, well, you know, I just understand now. I was a little kid and I was texting everybody because I was so curious about everything. But uh, I wasn't really thinking that people probably don't have time to answer little kids. <laughs> well, I have to say, despite all your success, you were still very gracious in responding. We've been we've had some scheduling conflicts, but I really appreciate yeah. you. I I guess you haven't gotten to that point yet where. You're just so busy that you can't, but I, I really do appreciate you making the time. So for players out there that are maybe up-and-coming players, like the next Fedor Gorst or Josh Filler or you know maybe a United States player that's getting better, they're younger, they're getting better, they're hungry, what type of advice do you have for them for consistent improvement in their game? Well, if like you said, if you have the hunger... That's already a part of the success, I think. Uh, you should have the hunger for the knowledge, because I had it, and I remember I was trying to, you know, I was trying to snitch to every book or every player. I was asking everybody how they do this, how how to do this, and I was really curious about the break all the time. And if you have like a certain knowledge already, like a basement, then it's all about practice. If you work hard, and I believe in in, uh, in hard work, I think you can achieve anything. You don't even have, you, you don't even need to have uh, the talent. You know, everybody's talking about the talent and how you need to be talented, but I don't really believe in that. So you talked about practice. Take us through your practice sessions. Uh, do you just hit balls around? Do you have drills? Is it a combination of both? Do you play the ghosts? What do your practice sessions look like? Uh, well, it's mostly it's depending on what type, what time of the season it is. So, for example, if I'm playing a tournament in a week time, it doesn't really make sense to work on my fundamentals because it takes like two or three weeks to change something. So if it's, for example, like a week, like I said, like a week before the tournament, I'm trying to do anything I can to be uh, sharp, to get ready, like to get my, uh, to get a stroke. Um, working on my break a lot before the tournaments, like two or three days before the tournament, I'm mostly practicing the break. Maybe I'm breaking and running. And when I have uh, like uh, a break, like a month break or two, or like the pandemic, the pandemic actually was the perfect time to change something or to work on your weak parts of the game. Uh, so I did that. I was working on safety gifts, uh, on my safeties and kicking a lot. Because I think that's my weakest part, and still is, but it's better now. 
Do you think maybe your kicking is your weakest part because you're so good at jumping? Uh, maybe, maybe yes, because half of the shots that I could have kicked, I would jump, and I would still jump them. But for example, on like the cloth that I know how to play a kick shot, I will maybe take the kick shot now because mm -hmm. I know how. And I feel how. Before, I didn't really feel it. Yeah, I wanted to talk about the jump shot because, you know, it's funny. I was watching in pre preparation for this interview. You know, my wife sometimes helps me prepare. And we were watching one of your matches. And you rolled up on a shot, and it was a jump shot. And I said, watch this. <laughs> I said, this guy hits the jump shot like it's a regular hanger, you know, just shoots it straight in. And it's almost like you have it perfect where the ball just clears the ball in the way and it almost looks like a pure stroke that you're not even jumping a ball but you do and you pocket it and so what does it take to really get like what advice could you give somebody to jump balls the way you jump them is it just a feel that you got to work on over and over again or is there a certain technique well of course you have to practice it and practice it a lot i remember actually i was 13 or, four or 14 it was uh my parents just bought me a pool table and we set it in our house and it was a summer and i didn't didn't know how to practice at that time i was just banging balls around and doing stupid stuff on, on the table so i decided to you know to play jump shots only and i didn't have uh, a proper jump cue at that time i think i was using like a cheap wooden jump cue that I think there was no carbon even in 2014. But anyways, I was jumping for three months, probably like two or three hours a day because my arm was getting stiff after an hour. Yeah. And I was, I had to take a break every time. So I think that actually it created a feel that I don't really need to practice it that much anymore. Of course, I always have to uh, practice my jump shots like an hour or two hours a week. But it's not like I have to really work on it. I have the feeling and I know how to uh, do the pre-strokes. I know how to deliver. And all I have to do is just uh, know where, where to land. I, I'm not sure if I'm explaining right because no. I can explain it in Russian. But, <laughs> no, no, uh, it's good. I, I, yeah, I'm getting it. So yeah, all I have to work right now is the speed, and I see the trajectory before the shot, and I kind of, I can't imagine how I do the shot before before I shoot it. On and every on every well, shot or just jump shots? Well, visualization is. Uh, is always good. I always do it, like not the picture, but uh, with the muscles. Like you see this, every player I think do this before the shot. Yeah. Well, I do it before the ones I make. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, think about it now. <laughs> Sometimes I forget. You know, it's the weirdest thing. Sometimes you just forget to do simple things like aim, and I, and, you know, and then yeah. I miss the shot, and I'm like, why didn't I just think to aim? It's just silly. Yeah, simple, simple things are, aren't simple. 
Yeah. So you mentioned, I, I, I just want to dive a little deeper into this because you mentioned an hour or two a week working on your jump shot. It made me think that you might have a certain uh, discipline to practice things a certain amount of time per week. Do you have a schedule for yourself or is it just, hey, I really haven't done this this week, so today I'll work on shooting with the bridge or whatever? No. Uh, honestly, I never practice without schedule without the plan because I don't think it's really I don't think it's worth it really I think the the value of well if you're going to the gym for example you always have a plan in your mind what you're going to do you know you split the muscles and you practice three times a week for example well it's same here you know you split you make the program you split it for example well, of course, it depends on the the schedule. Like I said, if you have a, the tournament, an important tournament in five days, then it's yeah. probably better to uh, focus on this discipline that you're going to play there and practice your break. But if it's middle, it's if it's uh, preseason, right? Then I would suggest to uh make a plan first you have to realize what's your weakest part and work from the beginning work uh work on your weakest part from the beginning and then you should just split everything so for example you practice you decided to practice four days a week let's say and on day one you do drills well it's you do drills and single shots. Single shots are mostly for uh, to improve your pocketing or your fundamentals, because normally it's uh, better to work on your fundamentals on single shots because it's easier to focus on things. Um, well, I'm I'm not going to make a plan right now. Yeah, no. I'm I I was going to let you talk as long as you wanted to because I think this is really valuable information. So sometimes I interview people, you know, who've been playing the game for 50 years or, you know, and they have stories of things that have happened. And so preparing for this interview, I wanted to get as much knowledge as I could out of you in terms of how you've made it to such a high level so early in your career. And I think there's a lot of value there. And, and just one more question about that plan. Uh, is it a written plan? Is it in your mind? Is it on a computer? You know, do you take time every Sunday and put out a plan for the week? I'm just really curious about this because I'm pretty sure most players are not doing it in any formal way. No, no. Uh, no, I'm always writing it in my notebook. Mm. And sometimes uh, I'm putting it on my computer as well uh so yeah it's always written and i have it in my mind but just not to forget of course i i can't change this plan for example if i do if i uh set the goal or wrote that i have to play some certain shot for an hour and i see that i can't miss it in 15 minutes then i will switch to a different one because mm. i think it's you know i'm, I'm pretty good at it and I don't have to work on it anymore. Yeah. Well, today. <laughs> <laughs> so how old are you now? I'm 20. 
So at 20 years old, you've already won a world championship. And I have to tell you, at that point, it might be tempting to say, well, I've already accomplished that and, you know, relax a little bit. What are your goals from here? Um, well, normally, um, I was setting the goals before the new year or right after the new year, because I, I knew the schedule and, uh, I always wanted to win the world title. But now I think that my goal is just to win uh, and try my best on every tournament. You know, I want to win everything. I, like you said, uh, it's probably the time to celebrate. And I did this before and it was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I won the European, I remember that. I won the European Championship. Uh, the problem is I don't remember when it was. A year or two years ago. So it was my first European Championship win in the men's division. It was a huge title for me back then. So the very next day, I'm totally drunk. Uh, you know, I was celebrating with my uh, teammates and everybody. Everybody was there. And uh, the two two days be, uh, after, we have the Euro Tour, the next tournament yeah. at the same place. So I have the hangover and I'm thinking like, well, it should be gone tomorrow. You know, it's fine. <laughs> so I'm waking up the next day and I feel worse. So I'm going to the sauna, you know, I'm going to swimming pool, to the gym, trying to run, you know, trying to get, get normal, trying to get back. Uh, and then I'm going to the practice room, trying to hit balls and I'm, and I'm feeling like, oh my God, is it my arm? Uh, so it was uh, it was a good lesson, uh, but I always celebrate in the in the at the time when I don't have tournaments and I have time to <laughs> relax. You know, yeah. What I is... enjoy time with my family at Christmas and New Year, but now it's it's time to practice again. Yeah. So, what has been your highest high and your lowest low in your pool career so far? Do you have those? Well, I told you, I told you about the lowest low right now. That one. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> I, I ended up, I ended up losing. Uh, I think I went two and out in this year tour because uh, I was feeling horrible even even three days after Jeez. the win. Uh, yeah, I was playing very bad, and I felt horrible after that for quite some time. Even <laughs> even though I won the event before. <laughs> You learned a valuable but, lesson there, huh? Yeah, but uh, the high, I think the high was was the whole year. I really played good. I didn't lose any tournament here in Russia. I won everything, like all Russian Cups, all small handicap events. I won uh, the tournament in Greece in the beginning of Jan uh, January, I think, the last year. So the month later after the world championship. Mm -hmm. And then I went to Vegas. We played one tournament. It was Las Vegas Open. I didn't do very good there. But I was. I think I was prepared for the world temple. But everything got canceled. Since then, I don't think my level dropped or 
uh, improved, maybe improved a little, but I still think that uh, I'm on top of the game, on, on top of my level. Yeah, well, congratulations on winning the Moscone Cup. Uh, you seem the first day to maybe feel a little uncomfortable with a few shots, but then you settled in really nicely and played really well. And actually, as I was talking to people about the event, you were the one that I wasn't quite sure, even though your your talent level's phenomenal, there's no question you deserve to be on the team and you're one of the better players in the entire event. With it being your first time there, my thought was, well, maybe he won't react the way he would normally play. And you proved that wrong and you played well and you guys got the victory. Tell us about the pressure of playing in that event, even without fans being there. Well, of course, it's always a question about the rookie uh, being in the Moscone Cup. But I think that the the whole thing, uh, the event without being without the, the fans over there, you know, it, it helped me a lot. I think it helped me a lot because, uh, of course, the very first day everybody was nervous, and probably I was the. I was nervous. I was more nervous than anybody else. Was it the and most I, nervous you've ever been in pool? Sorry to cut you off. No, 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 no. Oh. But I was nervous. Uh, you know, my my hands were shaking on some shots, and well, it's normal. I'm. It's always happening with me when I'm going somewhere for the first time. It's been for. I mean, the World Championship, the China Open, every time I'm going to play first match, it's going to be like that. Mm. I just know it. Uh, so, yeah, I just I was glad that we won uh, our double match with uh, Filler, uh, where I banked the nine to win the match. And, yeah, the, 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 the next day I felt completely different. Also, I think the team really helped me because I was playing the uh, third match and the score after day one was 3-2 and then Europe won two matches in a row so the score was 5-2 so knowing the score and knowing that my team won the last two matches I think it gave me a little extra confidence before my match it's not that I was confident that I'm going to beat, you know, Corey in a race to five, you know, but uh, I was I wasn't nervous at all. And I was playing good in the practice room and I felt great. So and even after on day three, when we played with Albin, I wasn't feeling nervous at all. Yeah. Well, before the event, there was quite a bit of talk from Europe and the United States and mainly uh, Jason, you know, was involved with a lot of that. And uh, I just get the feeling that that's kind of not the way you do things. I I'm curious your reaction to how all that played out prior to the event. Well, I think it's good for Moscone Cup because it creates some certain hype before the event. And I think it happens in every sport, actually. You know, if you take boxing, there's always shit talking before their fights, even if they're, you know, best friends. But, yeah, I'm I'm just a different guy. You know, I'm calm, and I don't really want to talk bad about people. 
Even I, if I, even if I think that they're bad. Yeah, I had no. that feeling. So yeah. can we? I, I'd like to talk a little bit about the World Championship win that you had. I think you played Chang in the finals, and I think at one point he might even have been up by three games. What was that match like, and how did you deal with that, the pressure of it? And, you know, take us through that match. It's actually a cool story. <laughs> uh, I was super tired before my match. And before before this world championship trip, I booked the trip to Thailand. Uh, first of all, I booked it from Russia because the dates were different uh, for the world championship before. I booked it in, I don't know, May or something. And the world championship supposed to be in November. But then they, they moved the dates right on the dates where I had my holidays in Thailand. So I had to reschedule everything and I booked my flight from Qatar to Thailand. So I was thinking, you know, I'm going to finish the tournament and relax, spend some time before the new year. So, yeah, the plan was great, uh, but I wasn't planning to win the event and play the final for four and a half hours. So I booked <laughs> my flight for 9 p.m. and the final started at 6 Oh. So so I was thinking before the match, should I reschedule it now? Should I rebook it now or after the match? And then there was like uh, the biggest rush in my life, I think. everything, Everybody was rushing because, uh, well, honestly, the tournament wasn't organized perfectly. You know, the stream guys, they didn't know what to do and they were rushing. Uh tournament director was rushing and well anyways uh and we ended up playing for four and a half hours i think because we didn't have a shot clock and chen was i think chen was playing slower than me because uh, he was uh he was more nervous than i than i was i was so tired that i was i couldn't even really feel anything i was honestly it, it might sound funny but i was thinking about my ticket more than about the the match <laughs> but i well i actually checked i actually checked the tickets before the match and there was no direct flight and i could uh i should have wait for another five days or so in qatar to fly yeah. to thailand and i was thinking oh no <laughs> Oh, no, please. I wonder if you were, you know, like Shane Van Boning's age and you were in that match, you know, you might have had, had you might have had a different attitude about it. Like there might not be many more opportunities to win a world championship, but because of course. you were so young, it's like, hey, well, you know, I'm here and I'm worried about this flight to Thailand. <laughs> Hopefully yeah, I'll still try to play good, but we'll see what happens. You think that played a role? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think I think it helped me in 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 the end. That's awesome. uh, but yeah, I was uh, I was way more nervous in my quarterfinal, semifinal, and probably the last sixteen match than I was uh, in the finals. Really, that's awesome. So I want to give you a chance to recognize your sponsors, and if you could tell the audience about what they mean to you. You know, for most of us, we see the patches on your shirts, and 
you know, but we don't really know what that means, how they support you. So could you share that with the audience? Yeah. Well, the main sponsor, and it has been for the last almost two years already, it's been QTech. So I'm playing with uh, everything. I really like it. So, well, actually, if you want to really jump good, I think you should have a proper jump queue. You know, I've been uh, jumping with uh, Predator Air 2 before, and I liked it. And I'm jumping with uh, QTech Propel now. And I think it's it's like the best jump queue I've ever tried, really. Wow. No joke. Uh, so, yeah. It really means a lot to me to be under Qtech's uh, shoulder, or how to say that, wing. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, they've been supporting me even even though this year there was no tournaments, only online events, something small for them, you know, to promote the game. But they were still supporting me, and we're, you know, we're like a family right now already uh who else uh there are many many different people and uh sponsors that i can mention but they all know who they are you know they are they are really they really mean a lot to me with this podcast one of the things that i'm trying to do is i'm trying to help promote the game of pool and promote players like yourself and really try to get pool outside of just pool players interested in pool. And so I'm asking everybody that comes on if they have any ideas for taking the sport that we love and bringing it to more people that aren't already pool players. Do you have any ideas about that? Mm, Well, it's a tough question. You know, if I would know the answer, I would be a millionaire probably. But I think the format, if if we're talking about the format, I think the Matrium Matrium makes the best formats you can ever make. You know, short races, high quality picture, and they promote the event well. And I don't really think you can do anything better than that. But you have to hate if, you have to hate the short races, right? As being a top top player, you well, know. yeah, of course it's it's not good for the players, but it's probably good for the game because then there will be more spectators, and then the game will be grown itself. Yeah, I think that's really cool that you have that perspective because a lot of the top players that I talk to. I think they can they understand that, but they still have a hard time supporting that because they don't like the idea that someone who plays under them could beat them in a race to five. You know, I play decent pool, and if you and I play, you're going to beat me in a race to 11 99% of the time, maybe 100% of the time. But in a race to five, I might beat you a few times, and so that's got to be a yeah. little tough to swallow for the better players, you know? Well, you know, it's the format. You know, if the format is there, you can't do anything about it. You have to just fight. What's your favorite game to play? Um, Temple, I'd say. Have you messed around with One Pocket, tried to learn that game at all? I'm just curious. Well, not a lot. 
But I had some little accomplishments, I'd say, in one pocket. Uh, I think two years ago, when I was when when I was uh, still allowed to play uh, at the Derby City, I think it was two years ago. Because last year I was uh, I wasn't allowed because oh, right. of my age. Uh, so yeah, two years ago I finished third in one pocket. I think it was thirteenth round, and I lost twice to Dennis. And I was practicing before that event. I was really playing with old dudes in the club, <laughs> trying to learn the some shots. Mostly was uh, all about defense because I know how to run balls. It's more like straight pull. But defense, I had no clue how to play the game. So, yeah, I know a little bit about one pocket. Yeah, do you find it interesting at all? I find it interesting and boring at the same time. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm a rhythm player and I like to run balls. But sometimes you have to play a game for an hour. And when the balls are up table, you have you have to just, you know, wait and maybe bank one ball in half an hour. Yeah. You never know. So I find it interesting when the game is open. <laughs> yeah, it, it's such a good game for gamblers because you can easily handicap it compared to 10 ball or, or 9 ball or, or 8 ball. And so you find that a lot of the gamblers like playing the game. And it's so weird because there's guys that I could give the 7 ball to playing 9 ball that I can't beat playing one pocket just because of the knowledge. And so I was curious if you found, uh, you know, people call it chess on a pool table, and I know chess is big in Russia, you know, and I was just curious if you find, like, the, the moving the pieces part interesting. But, you know, I can also understand how it is boring sometimes. <laughs> well, I enjoyed, well, before that, when I was trying to learn the one pocket, I was I was watching matches on YouTube, and I I couldn't watch it. I was always watching before I, uh, I was going to sleep, and I was falling asleep in like uh, <laughs> 20 minutes. I couldn't watch it. Yeah, it doesn't matter who who was playing, Efren or the old guy from the club. But now I'm, you know, I'm buying pay-per-views to watch. I, I enjoy watching Scott Trust. I really like the way he plays the game. And I watched Scott against Tony. They played a month ago, I think, or two. That was a great match. Yeah, I, I watched every wreck, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah. You are coming back to the United States very soon, maybe by the time this airs. And you have a big match set up in Texas. Uh, I believe you're playing Jeffrey DeLuna. Talk to us a little bit about that match and what your thoughts are going into that. Uh, so it's three-day format. We're playing race 200, 10 ball with the Magic Rack, winner's break. Uh, we're playing in Texas. Uh, I think it's in Houston, but I'm not sure. I'm not <laughs> sure about the city because uh, the city is – it's a small city. I don't remember the name. I think, but... it's out, I think it's actually outside of Dallas. I think it's in Frisco or... Yeah. Oh, yeah. yes, yes, Frisco, right. Yeah, that's Frisco. near Dallas. Yeah, it's Dallas. Yeah, yeah, I booked my flight to Dallas. I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know why I'm thinking about Houston. Uh, well, maybe you want to play Roberto Gomez next. He's down in Houston. Oh, yeah, I want to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, yeah, tell us about the match. Uh, well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what we're betting yet, because <laughs> first it's uh, it was uh, it was promoted like a hundred thousand in the middle. Then, wow, two days after it was fifty, and after the new year, I saw a new poster that says that that was saying uh, twenty thousand in the middle. Or 40, 40, yeah, 40,000. So now it's 40, and my side is wide open. And I texted Jeffrey and asked him what's going on, why the numbers are changing every day. You know, I'm scared to open my Facebook every morning because, <laughs> uh, you know, numbers are, are changing and going lower and lower. So he answered that... Uh, He's unsure. He was thinking that my side was going to bet twenty thousand only, but I said, you know, my side. There's no problem with my side. So you feel pretty good about this match? Uh, yeah. Well, I never played such a long race, but I feel like my stamina is there. You know, I'm ready to play. Race the three thirty-three every day. That's for sure. Uh. You know, I accepted this match because I feel confident about the the, the game and my game most mostly. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm just ready to play and ready to hit some balls because it know, was quite some time without anything. Yeah, you mentioned stamina. And I found that, especially with European players, that's one thing that I've noticed is they tend to be more fit and in shape. Uh, is that part of your routine? Do you go to the gym? Do you try to stay in shape, run, things like that? Yeah, but I'm going to the gym because of the other reason. When I was a kid and probably my first or second coach, he taught me the stance in the wrong way. So my back was a little crooked so my spine looks like this a little bit so i have a scoliosis or how it calls in english i'm mm -hmm. not sure scoliosis yeah yeah so uh now i have to change it a little bit because sometimes when i practice over three hours i'd say and it happens a lot when i practice uh, over three hours a day my lower back starts to hurt and it hurts like bad so I have to work on some things to get this better. And it's getting better and better every month. But also, yes, I'm working on my stamina. I'm running. I'm cycling. And I have been swimming before, but I I don't remember when, when was the last time. Probably like before the pandemic. And yes, it is included in, in the plan. It's written up there as well. That's great. Yeah. So I'm really excited about what this podcast is becoming. And you're one of the featured guests on it, being a world champion. There's so many other people, though, that I want to interview, especially in Europe. And I haven't really had the chance to connect with them. I'm curious, who out of the Europeans do you think would be a good interview for me? Uh, Niels. I think Niels can, has a lot of stories and you know, <laughs> I liked him. I, I would like to hear his podcast. Uh, 
Albin, Ocean, uh, Filler, probably a good guest. Mm, who else? Well, I think You're every basic... player has something interesting. That's what I found as well. Even, you know, not the top, top tier players. It, like, everybody's got a story. And that's one thing I'm trying yeah, to do sure. is is bring out for their sure. stories. And, you know, it's funny, you, you're naming the Moscone Cup team for Europe. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> pretty much, at least uh, Neil's not this year. But, you know, those are some of my favorite players ever. You know, I look at Albin and just... Well, the... it's, maybe because, it's maybe because I know this guy is a little more than the others. You know, yeah. I, I'm not really, I'm, uh, how, how to say that, I'm, uh, I'm an introvert. Most of the time, I'm staying alone, at, you know, at, at, at the at the tournaments, and trying to focus on myself. Uh, that's why I don't really know different players. I know how they play, but I don't know the the person, yeah, their their personality. Yeah. So these guys I know well because we practiced and spoke a lot. Who who was your favorite teammate from this year's Moscone Cup? Uh, all of them oh come really? on there had to be one that was like you bonded with probably alex the coach oh really yeah he seems, uh he we're seems... still we're still practicing sometimes online even though you know the cup is over <laughs> we're still we're still doing some online practicing that's funny because I was going to tell you that he really scared me. You know, I was participating in the interviews and I'd ask him questions. He just seemed so hardcore and like military. And I, you know, wow, and then you come. You, yeah. That was a joke, I think, because he is, he is really funny. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, well, you know, I wanted to give you an opportunity really to give us any final thoughts that you have, Fader. You've been very gracious with your time, and I know you're preparing for this trip to the United States. So is there any final thoughts that you have for your fans out there or folks that will watch this podcast? Anything at all? I just want to thank everybody who, you know, supported me this year because it's been really a lot of people supporting me, not only with the comments, but also I was doing – you know, everybody was doing raffles at the pandemic and there was a lot of people supporting me and supporting uh, my family. So I want just to say thanks to those people, you know, and my fans that they are supporting me all the time. It really, it really means a lot to me. And it's not just the words, 